Today we have a very special person with us. Her name is uh, Marta Luis Burguete. She is originally from Castellón, Spain, graduated from Universidad Jaume I, where she made a bachelor's and then a master's in computer science. Then she started as a software developer intern in CTAC to then move to mighty Microsoft Switzerland as a software engineer. After almost three intense and incredible years here, she moved to China to find a new and exciting project. After that, she moved to the United States where her path to principal started for almost seven years. Nowadays, she is principal product manager at Global and she will share what was her path to achieve the principal role in her, in her career. Marta, welcome to our very first episode of the podcast series, Path to Principal. In this space, we want to know more about you and how you got into product management and becoming a principal product manager. I would like to start asking to introduce yourself. Uh, hi, everyone. I'm super excited to be here today with all of you and a little scared, to be honest, because this is like my first podcast, which makes me very excited. I feel like I finally made it in life. Uh, but yeah, let's see. So. I went to school to become an engineer and through a series of very fortunate events, I ended up doing an internship at Microsoft in the US. And then that converted into a full-time position on their remote development center in Switzerland. And I was working on video conferencing there as an engineer, as a software developer. And then I relocated to China and that's when I moved to be a product manager. I actually joined the first version of Office for iPad. Uh, which was one of the most fun projects I've ever had the chance to work uh, in uh, because I felt like we were working on something that was really going to be incredibly impactful for the world. We took a device that back then, it seems like the iPads have been around forever, but really they weren't. <laughs> <And> so <laughs> back then, the iPads were, were this fun thing that you just use for fun and surfing the web. And we took this device and said, we see the power of making this a productivity tool that you can take with you on the go. Um, so then I relocated to the Microsoft headquarters in Seattle and I shipped the project and it was super impactful. So that was great. <laughs> it was very, very fun. And then I got the chance to continue working in office for many other years. And I did all sorts of things. I work on the rendering engine, which is basically the really low level things that puts all of the pixels on your screen and no one really cares about except a few people <laughs> like me. Uh, and I also got to work on a lot of uh, hardware and AI because I work on digital pen experiences and I was working with the Surface line, which is our Microsoft hardware line, on um, creating that perfect balance between taking the most advantage possible from the hardware, taking the state-of-the-art AI and a new user model, you know, like using your digital pen to push those boundaries of productivity into the next stage of productivity. And so I've gotten to work in a lot of many different projects, but I feel there's like some common thread of taking something that wasn't possible before and <laughs> trying to make it possible. So that was very exciting. That's, and now, at that's some point, amazing. I decided that I wanted to move back home to Spain. And, uh, but I wasn't really willing to just let go of working on something that was exciting. And very luckily, I found Global and the rest of history. I've been here for a few months and it's been great. Amazing, amazing, Marta. It's, it's, it's uh, super interesting to see how a product like the iPad that was introduced uh, just 
a decade ago, uh, was introducing Microsoft Office and, and all, all the tools. Uh, I must say that because of you and your team, uh, I was enjoying the iPad's functionality with that. So, so thank you for this. And uh, also with the AI and the hardware solutions with Microsoft and, 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 and changing also cities. I don't know if you know this, but I, I'm pretty sure. Magmira joined with uh, Microsoft and you already built actually the first AI whiskey in the world. Oh. <laughs> So I think also your contributions have been pretty there good with that. Go. <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty good. Perfect. So with such an amazing experience, Marta, uh, tell us what made you seek the software engineering career because you started as a software engineer and then you transitioned to PM. So tell us a little bit more about this. Yeah. Well, when I had to choose what to do in school, like I had no idea what a product manager was. I don't think the world knew what a product ma manager was. <laughs> that wasn't really an option. Um, but I really love tech and I really love science. And the one thing that made me go into computer engineering, which is what I actually studied, was that I love the freedom that you could achieve through it. I love not being married to any domain, but instead being able to put the technology um, at the service of the bigger problems, right? Like you, you go and study like and understand computers and then you can, the world's your oyster. You could be making cities better like Lobo or you could be making productivity better. You could be working on the medical field. You could be working on movies. Um, there's just really no limit of what technology can allow you to do. And so for me, that part is the most exciting part of software engineering. I, I think it's totally true, uh, Marta. I, I feel the same even if I try to do my first paper, scissors and, scissors and rock on JavaScript, and that's the only thing that I did. I, I do believe as you. I, I believe as that, that, that technology has uh, and gives uh, a lot of opportunities. What an amazing, amazing answer. Uh, and I can say you, Marta, that at Globe, we're passionate about technology and product, and we value a lot product managers that were software engineers before. So what made you take these steps towards product then? Well, I realized when I was working as a software engineer that I just continuously kept asking the whys after the decisions. Like I was like, okay, cool. So I'll do this, but like, why are we trying to do this again? And what problem are we trying to solve? And uh, what, you know, understanding the bigger picture, how things connect together and focusing on making our customers life better. And that was really always as a, as a person motivated me and gave me, the right understanding to be able to do my job. <laughs> and so really when you look at that, that's, that's what a product manager does, is trying to identify the bigger problems that are in the way from your customers to be truly happy and, and achieve their full potential and understanding how it all connects together, how you can great, get those great experiences all throughout. And so when I realized that that was kind of like the product manager role, I decided that I was more interested in that uh, and I wanted to try that side of the house. Um, there's also a practical aspect of it where um, I love the part uh, of like solving the puzzle. <laughs> I call it solving the puzzle, right? Like I'm like, there's this problem and there's this like infinite amount of things we could do to solve this. It's very complicated. How do we go about it? And that's also very much part of the product manager role, right? Like the brainstorming, the, the creativeness, the thinking through. I also realized that when it gets to the details, sometimes I was less interested, which probably made me a much worse software engineer than product manager. <laughs> <And so laughs> there was also that part of realizing the, your strengths 
and what you really what what gives you life you know like what what really brings you up and you could be doing all day long and what things kind of like zap your energy away and when looking at that list of uh day-to-day tasks like obviously i was much more aligned to product manager management as well so i took the jump and i haven't regret it <laughs> amazing amazing marta and i hope you you can continue building amazing products uh for us and solutions for for the customers right i think with this mindset you are changing many people's lives and and i think also that's one one of the things as, as you mentioned that it's great uh, a quick question with this do you think uh, having a career in software engineering uh, before uh, has I don't know, let you communicate better with your actual engineers in the team? I think so. But of course, I'm biased because I only have my own experience. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's always hard to know what, how life will have been without it. Um, I feel it serves me because, again, this is kind of the same reason why I moved to product. Is like I have a need to understand all of the things around me in order to be the most efficient I can be. And so having a background that allows me to understand a little deeper the technical side, it's, it's much more useful for me. Now, I believe you can achieve that same level of understanding by being in the industry. It doesn't, you know, I've, I've met very successful product managers that came from a political science background. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I, you know, so, so obviously it's also a matter of like what you focus on and, and how you want to have those conversations and keep learning. But this served me very well. And it also depends on what you work on, right? Like there's going to be things like, as I said, when I was working on the rendering engine for office, that was very, very technical. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't necessarily see a world where that can be done without the background, but mm -hmm. there's a lot of other things that is about truly understanding the business and your customers and the place you're in and how to be, um, how to better fulfill a role within that environment. And so that may not be as needed to have the technical deep knowledge uh, of being a software engineer before. That's, that's also great to hear, Marta. You are giving light to my path because I'm pretty <laughs> attached to product. Uh, so now thinking that I'm, I'm, I'm with the background of, of uh, tech recruitment, maybe I have some already ideas to, to one day become a product manager. <laughs> Perfect. So I think many of our listeners uh, will be also curious about your experience at Microsoft. So can you tell us a little bit more, how was your path to becoming principal uh, product project manager there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. So I think like growing my career as a product manager has always been about focusing on increasing both my scope of ownership and, and the scope of influence. Um, and at the core, I like to think that the responsibilities are always really the same and are pretty simple is doing what is right for your customers in the most efficient way. The thing that changes is really how complicated <laughs> knowing what is right for your customers and what is efficient, um, how to get that answer, right? And so I like to give um, this little description. I, I, I used to do it a lot on like coaching because um, I, I did a lot of coaching before uh, to explain the, the difference on the abstraction and the difference on how hard it is to, to get those answers. So you can imagine as a PM1, it's all about learning the role. It's all about learning how to write a spec, how to ask the right questions and how to figure it out. And so normally the problems that you're going to be facing are important, but pretty scope. You can imagine that someone asks you to design the bold button on GDoc, right? And you're like, okay, that's something a lot of people are going to use, but mm -hmm. it's going to be 
either makes it bold or it doesn't make it bold. <laughs> and so there's a limited amount of things that you need to think and you can focus on understanding everything that goes into building a feature, working with your engineering team, how it is to like actually ship and monitor, et cetera, et cetera. When you get to BM2, and of course this, these levels are a little abstract, they change a little bit on each company, but just to give you uh, some guidance, as a PM2, you could imagine that instead of just doing the bold button, you're doing the whole edit tab on GDOX. And so now the problems individually are also scope, but you have to take into consideration many other things, how they work together among them. You have to be able to handle more things in parallel and be able to work with more people and make some trade-offs. Um, so you're starting to feel more comfortable on your day-to-day -day and you know how to do those basic uh, parts of your job, which is why you can handle a bigger amount of things and a little bit more abstraction. Suddenly you have to start making more difficult decisions. Uh, should I put this button here or there? What's the difference? The impact is going to have. Uh, as a senior, you may own all of the tabs on GDocs. Okay, now you're working with a lot of other PMs probably. You're not the only person doing all of that. So you also have a strong part of coordination, collaboration, and you start having the really hard trade-off conversations. That's when you start to have to be the person that has the decisions or makes the decisions that are hard because they have consequences. You can't have it all in life. We like to think so, but no, not, That's correct. not, not <laughs> engineering. You have to choose. Um, and so it becomes a much more abstract. The answer isn't as clear. You don't know what the right answer for all of the tabs on GDocs is. Uh, you can only know individual pieces and have information and make a decision with a limited amount of information in a timely manner. And that is really when you're comfortable doing that, you're probably at the senior level. And also the other thing that I think at least for me uh, is very important to, to understand the senior band is that you're, you have mastered your craft. You know how to be a PM. You know how to be a product manager. And so no matter the domain, no matter the project, I expect that you can be dropped into it and you're going to be productive in a very short time because you know your craft. And so that's kind of the difference between the three. And when I look at the principal level, uh, well, then maybe you're just inventing GDOX. Right? Like, are you just inventing <laughs> something very, very big that is really hard and definitely doesn't have an answer? Uh, in my case, when I moved to the principal band, I was leading work for the web. Uh, I had like a really big team. I managed all of the strategy for the product. And so the abstraction level, the type of problems and try of uh, answers that you're trying to get are, you don't even know which questions are being asked, right? Like you have to first figure out which are mm -hmm. the right questions <laughs> and then try to figure out the answers. So it's just a continuous increase on the abstraction level and a continuous increase on the scope of uh, the decisions that you're making. Super, super interesting to, to see how each, each step has different, as you said, scope and responsibilities. And, and it's, it's super interesting to see how, how it has developed in your case. I, I think many product managers and, and future product managers will feel motivated to hear this because they already know uh, what path you took, for example, and this can help um, many others. Yeah, um, and like yeah. the other thing for, for this that I think is super important, right? Like one thing that I believe served me really well is always having really honest conversations with your managers about where you are on that journey. It's a journey. It's not race. It's, you know, and you need to know where you're going. You need directions. You need to understand 
what is the thing you should be focusing on learning to move ahead on that set of skills? Because once you both align, your manager and you are aligned on what's the skill that you're trying to pursue, you're A, you're aligned, which is very important, but B, it's also gonna give you both um, the opportunity to be on the lookout for, for projects that are gonna get you the opportunity to gain those skills. So for example, if you say, hey, I'm a, I'm a PM2, you know, and I, this definitely happened to me throughout the whole time, you know, you're like, I feel really comfortable on what I'm doing now. How do I get to the next level? What is the next thing that I'm missing? And it's like, hey, you should be able to work across divisions on the company. And you're like, okay, knowing that, I'm going to be on the lookout for projects and opportunities that give me the exposure to that type of experience so I can gain that set of skills and get me ready for that level. And so that's always something that I've practiced throughout my, my whole career and it's been super, super useful uh, for me to grow. I think, as you say, Marta, we agree that uh, managers are key in the development of ourselves in, in any of the cases that we want to take. Even if we take, uh, you say, the principal path that is more technical or either the managerial path that, that it's uh, more people management. But as you say, thank you for sharing this. And I think many of us will feel um, enlightened by this. Now, to continue a little bit more with, the, with what we are looking here, Marta, what are the key responsibilities of a principal product manager? There's many. <laughs> I think there's like one key aspect that is you got to do what needs to get done for your team to succeed. And so that's your role. Your role is being the flexible person that is able to understand what's missing and fix it. Uh, but when we go to the, okay, that's a, really generic answer uh, when we talk about what exactly that means is you should be the go-to product person for your area. Uh, when people think about, I have a question, you know, I work on pricing. I know in, every time there's a question on pricing, someone is going to go to you and ask you that question, right? Like you want to be that person uh, that has all of that knowledge. You should be setting the vision and direction for the product area. You should motivate your team, sell your vision, get everyone aligned on that vision so that we're all moving in the same direction very effectively. And then you should be setting and monitoring those goals to ensure that you're meeting that vision um, along the way. So, and course correct when either new information comes in that has to change the vision or when new information comes in that tells you that whatever path you've chosen may not be the proper path to achieve that goal. Um, you have a really clear understanding of the full ecosystem and how things work together so that you can, again, be on the lookout for changes around you that is going to affect your vision and your team's performance so that you can quickly react to it if needed. Um, you normally also at the principal level start being, you normally become part of certain initiatives that span across the whole product team. You know, maybe you develop processes that help everyone on the organization be more efficient or learn better. Maybe you coach a bunch of people. Maybe you are part of like any other, you know, horizontal efforts. You lead those horizontal efforts into converting the whole organization in a better organization. Um, you're you remove blockers. I think that's kind of like, not even just at the principal level, that's, that's kind of like part of the product team, yeah. but you remove harder blockers. <laughs> you know, like, uh -huh. you like, normally have to have harder conversations and make those hard trade-offs and really be very open-minded about what's the right answer 
for the company at that time, as opposed to just maybe for your feature, which is something that normally changes between, um, you know, PM1 and a senior, you normally see that behavior. A PM1 right. would be like, but my thing, you know, <laughs> which is really the right behavior at PM1, and a senior person is like, is this worth sacrificing something of my feature for the greater good, right? And, and knowing where that balance is and how to achieve that balance on a win-win approach if possible. Um, so yeah, you, you're providing roadmaps, you're working with stakeholders to align all of them, to get them excited about the progress, even if they're not getting everything they would like to get, because they can see that bigger picture that you're trying to achieve. Um, so yeah, I think that's, that's some amount of the things that are on the, on the principal band. <laughs> <laughs> but, but those are great combinations of skills, actually, Marta. And uh, I, I also, from all that you said, I think that you need a, a lot of uh, adaptability, right? Because things change very fast and you need yeah. to think about others and stakeholders and your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, I think that's key. You, you, one sentence that I really like is, uh, strong opinions loosely hold. <laughs> and that's how I approach <laughs> my job. It's like you have to come on to the table with, with a vision, with a plan, with a you know, with a way of doing things and then be open-minded enough that when new information gets presented to you, if you need to change your plan, your vision or your roadmap, you do it if that's the right thing. So you always have a plan, but you also have the ability to change that plan if needed. Thank you for this. Amen. I will, I will use this also for, for myself and I'm, I'm pretty sure all the listeners will feel grateful for this. Thank you. Thank you, Marta. Really good uh, mindset. Now, let's think about uh, product. We are already on the line. And I know that you said that you already been working on, on Office and iPad before, but what has been the most exciting challenge that you had? Yeah, that's, that's like a little bit like asking me which one of my kids is my favorite. <laughs> 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 but, um, but if I had to choose only one, um, I think I would choose... Um, the work I did for Surface Day um, in 2018. And so let me explain you a little bit. So at Microsoft, as I said, the hardware line is called Surface. And every year they have one day where they make a big event, uh, usually in New York, sometimes in other places, and they kind of show up the new, the new set of like laptops and Surface Studios, all the cool stuff. Um, and so one of the things that I got to do is work with the Surface team and the AI team on thinking, what can we show to our customers that proves that this device is so special, that it's going to change their life so much that they want to go and buy it. And the way we show this is through software. Really, like the hardware is great, but if you don't have the software to really like live up to the expectations and have an impact on the customer's lives, you're only halfway through that. And you also can't like create something funny that is not true customers are going to see right through it. You have to actually be giving them value. And so for the Surface Day, um, Devices Day of 2018, um, we got to be one of the main demos uh, for that day. And what we created was um, an AI power feature in PowerPoint that could immediately translate or convert your digital handwriting into a PowerPoint slide with icons. Uh, based wow. uh, and so the idea is that, you know, when you're like running around and you just like jot down like four words that kind of mean what you want to yeah. say, 
just four words. Uh, well, imagine you can do that with your pen on your computer and like right as you live up that pen, basically, we offer you a completely curated, ready to present slide that is communicating beyond the words by also providing visual aid through the icons. And so that was the power that we're saying these computers with these like peripherals and the AI and the software is becoming a thing that it's solving a problem you didn't even know you had because we're making your life better in a way you didn't even know you needed you're just used to it this is how things are well this is not anymore how things are this can be different for you and so i thought the project itself was super cool but i think the the reason why i really consider it my favorite is like working with so many diverse people, you know, we had the hardware team, we had the marketing team, we had like literally the people working on setting up the demo room, you know, like, and it was all of us working together super intensely on a very short period of time to make this happen together towards that same goal and objective. And so it was so satisfying when we actually achieved that because we truly believed on what we had delivered. We truly believed that it was going to have a positive impact and it was so great to all of us come together on and again pushing forward that that set of what can be done but i first i want to ask you where i can buy the surface <laughs> yeah they only sell them in many places now this <laughs> <market. So. laughs> no but but this is amazing uh, uh imagining how you are solving something that as you said before and i'm trying to paraphrase you something that even the people Thought that they didn't need, and now you are you are solving a problem that actually was always there, and it's mm -hmm. it's amazing. And also, as you said, diversity and teams are are essential. It's beautiful to think that in companies such as Global or, or Microsoft, you get to work with so many uh, diverse mindsets that you get again diverse ways of thinking to build the same feature or or do do the same right. And and this is pretty Absolutely. nice. Absolutely. Thank you, thank you for, for this, Marta. Now, talking about features and focusing a little bit uh, on the future product managers that are listening, can you give us some advice when building a new feature? Yes, uh, I mean, I hope so. <laughs> like, uh, a couple of things that have served me really well throughout my career, uh, and this is all knowledge that at some point someone gave me and it kind of really stuck because uh, I it's true. <laughs> uh, I think the first one would be that the perfect is the enemy of the good. I think Steve Jobs is the, the, the person that put these words out there, but the perfect truly is the enemy of the good. If you, if you focus so much on like making the perfect solution, you won't be solving the problem you originally were trying to solve. Uh, you should be focusing on making an MVP, a minimal viable product, and making sure that you're building the right hooks to learn from it and understand what you don't know yet. You're never gonna know all of the information. So the, the question should always be, what can I do to solve a problem and get me that next layer of information that will help me truly invest on in the right things? Because if you, can, if you try to just do it all, all at once, you don't have enough information to know what's right and what's wrong. So for me, that's super, super important. Don't focus on perfection, focus on moving it forward, making progress on that, on that journey. Um, the second one would be keep asking yourself why this was, I had such an epiphany when I was on a business trip once doing a bunch of customer visits and we would meet with like, you know, 20, 30 customers at a time and, and trying to understand their day-to-day -day jobs. And we realized that like, if we ask why once one more time, 
that's when we truly got to the bottom of the problem. If you ask why just once, they give you the surface representation of the problem, right? They're like, I would like you to, and again, because I work in office, you know, they would say something like improve copy paste, right? And you're like, okay, I mean, that's fair, but like, why, <laughs> you know? And then they'll be like, yeah, because it doesn't work well. And you're like, but why? <laughs> and that's when they will be like, actually the problem that I have is that I am the person in charge of doing the formatting of all of the memos that come out. And because a lot of people copy paste from different places, it mixes and matches the, the font and the size of the font and it looks unprofessional. And you're like, okay, that's your problem. Your problem is not copy paste. Your problem is the fact that that's the job you're trying to achieve and you don't have a good way to achieve that job. And so that's when you ask one more time the why is when you really get to the bottom of what you need to actually solve for your customers. Um, so that would be another one. And I guess, uh, oh, and the third one that I think is super important is what are you not doing because you're doing this? I think that's such an important question to always ask yourself is like, and especially at the senior and principal band, like I think that's when you truly need to hone that skill, which is, okay, we're going to do this, but is everyone clear what is the trade-off of doing this? If we work on this project, if we work on this feature, what other work is not getting done that could be more relevant or more impactful? And hopefully it's not. Hopefully you've already, obviously, from your point of view, done the stack ranking of your, of your features and your projects, and then you have them right. But not everybody may be aware of it. And some other people may have other information that when you say, hey, by the way, this is the set of things that we're not capable of doing. Are we all okay with that? I, I'm, I'm amused. <laughs> first things first, I think Larry Tesler, uh, for the ones that are listening and don't know who Larry Tesler is, was the creator of Copy Paste. Uh, he will be, if, if he will still be with us, he will be super happy to, to hear this about the why, uh, Marta. And about the trade-offs, I think it's as everything in life, right? Whether we are making a decision, we gain something and, and we may lose something, but it, this is super important and thank you for sharing because sometimes we just think this as for our lives, but maybe not when we're building uh, something, right? And Absolutely. talking about perfection, as you <laughs> said, uh, it's true that normally we are not going to achieve perfection, but sometimes stakeholders have bigger expectations. So let's turn into this. How do you manage stakeholder expectations? And what will you do if in the middle of the quarter, one of your main stakeholders asks you to drop one project and start another due to its urgency, for example? Just in the line. <laughs> yes, I think that's, we've all been there, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> every day, but um, I think really it's all about collaboration and transparency. Um, I have found that most of the time when we are able to properly communicate what are we trying to do and why, what are the reasons behind that prioritization, how it affects a specific stakeholder's request, why have we chosen to like sub-select within certain stakeholder's requests and not others, the alignment happens quite naturally. Like there's normally not a lot of uh, conflict. Um, if the stakeholders have information that modifies any of those decisions, then that's awesome, right? Like you take that information and you make a better decision with it. So you're actually working together to build a plan that 
again, it's on the bigger, it's looking out for the bigger goals of the company and not at the individualistic needs of the people. And that normally works really well. Um, obviously, sometimes you may find, um, may find that you don't have alignment because your goals are different. So you have to kind of take that step back and say, okay, as a stakeholder, what are you trying to achieve? Is that not aligned with what I'm trying to achieve? And that's the problem you need to fix. It's not, not how we, you know, which feature, which initiative, because it's about the alignment on the, the goals and where we're going. Um, so I think a lot of those conversations and, and keeping that conversation very open is super helpful for it. And of course, we all get like, you know, this middle, middle of the quarter, middle of the month, um, random request that is like the most urgent thing ever. Um, and I truly think there's two things uh, there. One is sometimes it is the most important thing ever. <laughs> and if it is the most important thing ever, then you should be adaptable enough, as we were talking, to devise a new plan and switch gears with a minimum disruption of the work that is ongoing. Right? Like you also can't just drop whatever you're working on and do a 180. Um, that's normally very disruptive, but when is the right point? Is it then a week? Is it then two weeks? Um, how can we like start making progress towards that? So sometimes it is, right? Sometimes, you know, COVID-19 happens and you need a change of plan. <laughs> and so we're not going to be like, nope, actually I had a plan before, so going to stick with the old plan. Um, that's not, not good. Um, but then a lot of other times, it's normally not that urgent. I mean, it is urgent for them. And it is absolutely, if I had the, the people and the team size to be able to address it, we would be. But a lot of this is on that, giving them enough visibility on how you build software. Um, hey, look, we, we have, we, we're doing agile. So it means that we will get there and we have certain flexibility. It's not like we have six months ahead of us as scheduled, but this is what's on the list before. And this is where you like requirement comes in right now. And a lot of times it's even saying things like, hey, you have these three things on the list. Do you want me to swap any of those? Is it that more convenient for you? And having that very honest conversation of like, I want to build the things that you need. And I also have these other requirements and commitments that I, that I have. Um, this is the way I see the most optimal solution for all of it. But if you have any input that it can change that and can help me make a better decision, let's do that, right? And so a lot of times when people see that and then understand what are the timelines that you normally have to work with, they, they normally are like, okay, so maybe you can do it this month, but your time will be like early on the next month or early on the next quarter, depending, you know, multiple ways of doing project management. Um, that tends to be a much easier conversation to have. It is so nice to hear that the alignments are there and are happening constantly and sometimes we believe that they are not, but this is, this is essential to hear and know. And as you said, I guess all of this comes with uh, data, right? Because if we have the correct information, we can make better decisions. What do you think about this? Absolutely. I mean, I think data is like at the fundamental point of making any type of decisions. And knowing that your data is not going to be perfect, that you have to contextualize your data, um, but that you should be having some data points at least to to inform um, the decisions that you're making. It's it's super critical. Of course, of course, totally aligned with you. Now let's let's move on to that. There are many benefits of being data driven or data informed, uh, as you would like to call it, Marta. But what are the pitfalls of overly relying on hard data when making product decisions? You can give me give us an example. Um, yeah, I actually love that one. I um, someone that was smarter than me at some point told me that we should be data informed but customer driven. And the reason why I love 
that is because data without context is nothing. <laughs> like data without context is just a bunch of numbers <laughs> and we can make sense out of them, right? And the example that they gave me for that was really funny. Um, I wish I could have the, the, the actual story printed out somewhere because it was about how when they introduced biking helmets, the, uh, like the amount of head injuries went up quite a lot. Like it was a significant higher amount of uh, bike accident related head injuries. So now if you're just like hard data, you're like, well, bike helmets are a horrible idea. They clearly cause head injuries, <laughs> you know? Uh, but obviously <laughs> data inform and like you, you're customer driven, you understand what your customers are doing, what was their previous experience versus the new experience you know which data you're missing. And in this case, it's uh, the mortality rate of bike accidents. That's the data point you're missing. And you say, okay, yeah, bike, uh, sorry, like head accident, head injuries have gone up, but the, the mortality of the bike accidents has gone down a ton. You can only get that full view when you understand your customer's journey, when you understand your customer's flow. And when you understand your customer's flow, you can find the data to understand really what's happening behind the scenes of that customer flow. And I feel like that's what we should always be doing in software. We should be getting all of the to, to validate our assumptions and to um, come up with the right decisions, but we should be also like merging that with context and understanding of our customers so we can make sense of the data that we have. If you let me, I will start using this example of biking helmets every time that I need to not rely just on the hard data. Really good answer. And I loved also the approach on how you said uh, someone is smarter than you in that time and, and how you, you approach that. Uh, you can show us that you're very, very curious. Thank you. Thank you, Marta, for this. And, and now relying on internal, let's say, um data right and, and numbers and, and so on and, and data what team kpis does your team observe or pay attention to for example um yeah so we actually just moved to okrs which i'm super excited about which is a very geeky thing to say aloud but i do love my okrs <laughs> because uh, for those of you who don't know is a framework of objective key results and it's a way of driving your business um it's super used, uh, it was invented by Intel, very, very adopted by Google, um, and very common in our industry these days. But really the thing that I love about OKRs is that they help you focus on what is the business objectives that you're trying to achieve and decouple that from the solutions. And so that really helps you avoid tunnel visions and uh, when you already have a particular solution in mind. We all do this, we're humans, we tend to gravitate towards what we've already thought. We've already have a solution, right? We already have an idea. Why wouldn't we just do that, <laughs> you know? But again, we go back to that previous, like ask why one more time. What is the thing you're really trying to solve? Not, I could solve this problem with this solution. And so for us, the OKRs really help us get that alignment with our stakeholders. Uh, it really helps the individual members of the team understand how their day-to-day -day job accrues the bigger company goals, which is super motivating and important. Uh, and it makes prioritization so much easier because you just kind of say, what's my objective? Is this thing that I'm trying to do gonna help me achieve that objective or not? And in a bigger way or a smaller way that this other project that is also on the list. Um, so for us, that's, that's a big change that is happening right now in product that I'm super excited to see coming through. Um, in the particulars, we have many, um, 
but uh, we also use KPIs and a lot of times the, the key results are based on the KPIs that we have and so on. And so we basically have different levels of KPIs uh, that we should be paying attention to. Whenever you build a feature, you should be having a set of, um, of KPIs that you're, you're observing and monitoring to understand both the health of your feature and the success of your feature. And success understood as is it solving the problem that you went out to solve and are your customers understanding uh, that it's solving that problem? Um, so that's gonna be very dependent on a feature itself, right? Um, when it comes to like the business, it's again, very aligned to what is the business trying to do. So if we look at Globo, some of the things that, of course, on my team in, in the content teams, uh, we, we're looking at is uh, click-through rates and conversion rates. At the end of the day, we're showing you content and in, you could really distill it to like one sentence that is, we want to show our customers the right content at the right time. And that translates into more orders at the end of the day. And there's, you know, metrics that we put in the middle to, to be able to have more granularity over the information and make better decisions. But conversion rate, click-through rate are two very important ones that we're always looking at. And then you have all of the engineering KPIs when it comes to like the health of the system, the health of the infrastructure, which we cannot forget because we're still building software and it should build it should be built in a scalable and reliable way that allow us to keep growing. I love, as, as you said, how OKRs and KPIs are together and as the same with, with, within all the teams, checking that uh, everyone is aligned doing what, what, what they need to do. And thank you for sharing, sharing this. And there will be a lot of people excited about what you're doing at Global. Uh, I think we have uh, many valuable information and guidelines from this amazing podcast with you, uh, Marta. Uh, I want to ask you something. This is uh, something that I, I think after all our listeners hear this, uh, will feel even more motivated. So what key lessons you learn in product managers, uh, in product management, <laughs> sorry, that you hold on to and use? Hmm. So I guess two, one, and I'm repeating myself, but that's how important I think that one is, is always ask why one more time um, so that you truly understand what problem your customers are experiencing and, and not just that surface representation of the problem. And this can be applicable to your stakeholders, to your manager chain. What is truly the thing that they're pushing you to solve? Get a very clear understanding of that. And the second one is, to always define success before you start building the feature or you start building the work. If you don't, if you're not able to define success through specific measurable metrics, you probably don't understand the problem well enough. I think, I think this is key. Uh, when we are trying to build something, maybe we can sometimes ask the why, but then uh, we are not defining correctly the, 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 um, the measures that we need to have to declare success, no? Pretty good, pretty good. And, and thank you, uh, Marta, for this. Uh, this has been a magnificent class about product. Uh, I, I I think I want to become a product manager now. <laughs> awesome, we're always hiring. So <laughs> this is my <laughs> plug. <laughs> After hearing the, the, the answer on the question that maybe we don't need that much background, that will be good. <laughs> thank you, thank you for this amazing class, uh, Marta. And now changing topic, and something that it's very important right now, uh, nowadays. A diverse workforce can capture a greater share of the consumer market and be more inclusive. At Globe, of course, we advocate diversity. But what will you do 
to increase diversity because this is something that I think not just global but many companies worldwide are trying, are trying to achieve and I think also in, as, as a personal thought that it's key. So what are your thoughts on this? Well, the first thing I would say is that I believe focusing on diversity in the workplace is so important. Uh, as you mentioned, I mean, it's not just for me personally, it's not just the, the moral and ethical thing to do, but it's the secret weapon to build the best products you can build. And I think people don't realize that, right? It's like, you know, kind of like trying to get the best like soccer team. You don't just go and get a bunch of goalies. That'd be dumb. So like, why would we do the <laughs> same for like any other type of team, right? You want that variance on the skills and experiences and abilities. Uh, and there's a ton of scientific research that proves that both um, inherit and acquire diversity. So whether it is gender, race, age, life experiences, doesn't really matter, makes a better team. It makes a harder team. But it's because it forces you to be more open-minded, to rely more on the data, to look for common ground to make the decisions that need to be made. And so truly, it's just like saying, it's forcing you to be better at your job. <laughs> so that's going to generate better results, right? Um, so I think it's one of the most important things we can do to build uh, a great company is to focus on diversity. What particular would I do is I believe you can't just focus on one part of the pipeline. I don't think that's sufficient and I don't think that's successful when it's done. So it is as important to focus on the recruiting side of things as it is to focus on the growth within the company, on the different needs of different people at different times of their life. Um, we all go through different things and we need to be able to understand the challenges of each individual as an individual and accommodate for those challenges on a way that is inclusive and on a way that is not um, singular, like that is not like singling them out, right? Because uh, at the end of the day, we all as individual people have things that prevent us to be our better selves at work. And so right. it's much more interesting to think, can we identify a set of patterns and remove those blockers so that everyone can be their best selves at work? Uh, so when it comes from diversity, it's things like, um, and especially when we look, for example, obviously I'm a woman in tech, I've been a woman in tech for a long time, coming from an engineering background, um, it's like, well, it's not enough to just hire more women. You need to look at, are those women growing at the same rate? Do they have role models? Do they have people they can get mentoring from? Are they getting the same share of opportunities than everybody else? And I'm using women here, but obviously that goes for any other type of diversity. Uh, I think it's so important and it creates so much better results. So it doesn't have to be, you know, women coaching women only or like, you know, these are things that we all end up benefiting. For me, to, a, to an extent, is exactly as talking about inclusive design. When we think about inclusive design, we think about, um, or at least a few years ago, unfortunately, the world was a very much of the opinion that if you were doing inclusive design, you were, you were designing for people with disabilities. And the reality is that you're just building a better product. <laughs> you're just building something that is better for everyone, that everyone can benefit off, right? Like, I think I had like a really um, interesting little snippet of like, um, the first email protocol was invented on 1972 by Vint Cerf because it was the only reliable way of communicating with his deaf wife while he was at work. So was that design wow. for disability no that was just good design right? and so if we think about people at work and we apply that same inclusive design of the workplace 
we all become better. We all are able to bring our best selves into the day-to-day -day of the work. Uh, whether you have small kids, whether you have uh, older relatives you're taking care of, you're going through any other type of challenge in your life, uh, you're very happy, but you just feel lonely because there's no one who speaks the same language than you. You know, like There's thousands of reasons. We all belong to an in-group and an out-group. And we should all be felt that we have more of in-groups than out-groups, right? Um, so I think that's, that's the, that holistic approach to the problem is the only way to truly solve the problem. Totally, totally agree with you and, and all of these that, that, that you share with us. Uh, being a role model, I think also you are now being a role model for uh, a lot of listeners. And uh, <laughs> I, I hope this, all, this podcast series helps all, all the people that want to step in and make a, a little change and contribute with a little grain of sand to the world. Uh, as you said, that's building something that everyone can benefit of. And about the, the fact of being served, <laughs> I didn't knew about this. I think all, all of our listeners will be happy also to, to <laughs> and expecting to, to have you again in another episode to, to learn a, a lot of new stuff. It's been a pleasure any time. <laughs> no, no, it has been uh, our pleasure. Um, before ending today's episode, Marta, I would like to ask you the last question that will be, what will you recommend or say to any person that wants to start in software or product management or wanting to have a path to principle? I say just do it. You know, it's fun. Just get started. Get making progress. Keep asking for help. Don't be afraid of not knowing, just no one knows, right? Like every time you start a new job, every time you start a new role, it's always going to be new and a little uncomfortable. So just get comfortable with that feeling of uncomfort and just keep doing it and everyone can do great on this path. Thank you again. It's about the keeping, uh, expanding the comfort zone, right? And, and yeah. keep learning. <laughs> So thank you, Marta, for being with us today and sharing these amazing experiences. Looking forward to, to sharing with you in the future and to all of, of our listeners. Thank you for attending this podcast and please stay tuned for future guests. Thank you so much for having me over. Thank you, Marta. Thank you for joining our podcast series, Path to Principle. If you want to know a little bit more about us, you can always find in www.lift.es. Hope to see you in the next episode and stay tuned. My show, this is...